uh, in our uh, time together building, uh, building our families through the Word of God. We have looked at uh, six vital areas of training and teaching uh, up our children. And we know now that we, it's based on where we're at in Proverbs 22, 6, where it talks about training up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And uh, you'll remember that uh, week one, we basically established a context, putting your family into a context biblically, understanding, you know, what you want to accomplish, the whole purpose and the reason of, of having kids. Week two, we talked about the importance of establishing a baseline of truth. And I, I laid out how that you, the parent, are the first line of defense for your child and all that they're going to face and deal with. Three and four, week three and four, we uh, dealt with the evil day that uh, is coming in their life. And we went back to the book of Daniel. We saw how Daniel uh, is, a, is a great picture of what your kid is going to face and all of the things. Week five, we talked about the five stages of, of training. Uh, as they come up through life, uh, from birth to uh, you know to the rest of their life, the discipleship uh, discipline stage, the relationship stage, fellowship stage, the responsibility stage, and the ministry stage. And then last week, <coughs> we talked about the six types of parents, and uh, it was based on uh, my observation over the last forty-five plus years. And um, you know, we looked at the different kinds of parenting that uh, uh, that people get into. And today, I want to, uh, as I told you last week, I want to talk about establishing and giving a vision uh, to your child. And um, we're coming down now to the uh, end of this. We'll probably finish up here in the next uh, week, probably next week. But uh, I, I want to talk about establishing and giving a vision uh, in your child. And, uh, you know, and everything that we do in life, certainly your child's life, but not only that, and everything we do uh, in working with our children, this will be the ultimate goal. It will be establishing the vision in their life that you want them to be able to see and understand. And uh, everything that you do these last six weeks that we've talked about, it all comes down to this. Next week, we'll try to just pull it all together, and I'll give you some, some like I think, seven keys on parenting and, and, and tie it all back into where we're at. But the giving and establishing and reinforcing of a vision uh, for them uh, will be absolutely vital. It's paramount in what you're trying to do with your children. And today I want to I want to try to accomplish just a few things as we uh, wind down, as I said, our study, and we'll get into it here here next week. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer today, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get into this. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you, Father, for all you do for us. Thank you for <coughs> everything that you've bestowed upon us and given us. <coughs> we love you. We thank you, Father, for uh, the Word of God that you provided for us and your goodness to us. Bless us now as we look into your Word today, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen. Amen. First thing I want you to see <coughs> and understand here is I want you to understand how important a, a vision is in anything that we do in life. I know we're talking about kids, and I know we're talking about our families, but um, it's, it's, um, it's true in anything. And I want to use a couple of examples today that will help you better understand uh, what I'm trying to talk about with your kids and, uh, and what I want you to see today. And I want you to realize that uh, the, the concept of the vision is, is not you getting your own vision. 
It's you seeing God's vision and then giving that into your own life first and then bringing it on into the lives of your children. Now, let me show you an example here that I'm sure you can all identify with. Uh, most of you, I believe, really want to learn the Bible. You don't stick around here very long if you don't want to do that. Some of you may pick it up faster than others, but at the end of the day, I think the majority of you, if not all of you, really want to learn the Bible. So <clears throat> my job, what I've provided for you, is a couple of different areas by which that you can, you can make that happen. You know, uh, online we have the books of the Bible where you can uh, you go through every book of the Word of God and get a breakdown of it biblically. Um, every book in the Bible has a natural outline that you want to follow. Years ago when we started our church, that's one of the first things that I did, so we would have it years to come. Uh, maybe you're just new in our church, but you can start there because sooner or later you've got to get the books down in the Bible. We put together Bible Institute. Bible Institute is for you guys and gals uh, that want to really get a handle on the Bible. We really are working that through a three-year program. We've got the people ministry. It's designed to give you everything that you need on, on those levels to be able to put it all together. Uh, and then we, we obviously Thursday night from the get-go. You know, when I, I've been doing Thursday night Bible studies for almost ever since I got into the ministry, over 40-some years. I think it does two wonderful things. One, it gives you an outlet for you to really be able to ask questions about things that you're studying. It. So we use it as a teaching tool. Uh, you ask the question. There's probably 20, 30 other people out there that are wondering the same question. So we cover a lot of bases that way. But at the same time, it's kind of like a temperature gauge for me to find out where you're at. We come on Thursday night and you don't ask any questions, then you're not in the Bible. You come on Thursday night and you ask stupid questions, you're really stupid when it comes to the Bible. It's a thing where it's a, te- it's, a, it's a gauge for me. And, you know, you always ask great questions, and it shows the depth of where you're at. Most pastors can't see that. They don't see the value in that. Uh, but to me, I, I, I want to always know where you're at and try to help you better because I believe that most of you want to learn the Bible. And then we have the one-on-one where I spend time with you helping you put the Word of God together. And those are the things that I do uh, to help you learn the Bible because I really believe that most of you do. And I've learned in my own life that we will not grasp something completely till we see it and clearly understand it. That's key. So this is why I go to the great length with the Bible that I do. And, um, you know, we need to see the picture of what we are trying to learn or accomplish and, um, in the Word of God. You know, and as the picture of the Bible becomes sharper through the things that we do and more clear, and as we add to what we already know and then we reinforce it, the picture of the Bible and what God's doing will become very clear uh, in, in four distinct ways. And this is what you want to learn about the Bible, but this is also what you want to learn about your children because they're connected. First of all, when your Bible picture becomes clearer for you, you begin to understand what God is doing. That's vital. Most people don't have a clue of that. I know that sounds so basic and so simple, but I'm telling you, most people don't have a clue of what he's doing. Uh, the second thing is, uh, you find out that, that how he's doing it. <coughs> what is the mode by which he's operating today? The third thing is, with who is he doing it with? Who is he involved in at this particular point in time? And, <coughs> of course, the last thing or the fourth thing is, why is he doing it at all? What's the plan? What's the picture? 
What is God trying to, to lay out? You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it says, right now, in this life, we look through a glass darkly. He says there that, for now we look through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but, uh, but then shall I know even also as I am known. And what he's saying here is right now in this life, we don't see it all. We don't understand all that God's doing. When we look at the Bible, and the Bible is that looking glass in James chapter 1, verse 23 that he's talking about here. Right now, when we look into the Bible, we don't always see everything. We look through a glass darkly. There's a lot of things that maybe we don't understand that we don't get. The more you get into the Word of God, the more you build your relationship with Christ, the more you let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, the clearer that picture comes. And obviously, he's talking about right now in this mortal body, there's no way that I'm going to see and ever understand everything that God is doing. But then he says face to face. When I get my glorified body, I'll have everything and know everything that God knows. Now, I know that that'll never happen in this life, but it can get awful close in this life if you follow the Word of God. And the closer uh, you get to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the more you get into the book, the clearer that big picture uh, becomes. So, you know what I've done in Bible Institute, anyhow, I broke the Bible down into 17 uh, parts or components. And, uh, you know, the Bible is a picture book. It's like one of those thousand-piece picture puzzles. Uh, you want to get the picture, uh, the puzzle, to match the picture on the box. You get an overall picture of God's Bible, then you put the pieces together, and then the picture comes into focus. Each one will be a piece of the puzzle. And, uh, you know, we break the Bible down into 17 compartments. We look at each one. We understand each one. You come away understanding and say, okay, I see that now. See, I see that now. You not only understand it, you see it. You visualize what that component of the Bible is. And then, you know, we, we put them all packed together. These pieces will give you the vision of God, of what he's doing. It'll give you the ability to see it as his plan unfolding. And so you can better see how and where you and I fit into that plan. This church fits into that plan. It, getting the picture of God, getting the vision that God has of what He's doing will put everything in your life into context. And that's exactly on an on a <coughs> overall scale what we want. <coughs> Excuse me. As we, month by month, go through the Bible Institute and each piece of the puzzle gets down and, gets, and we understand it, then the overall plan of God or His vision, what He sees and how He sees it becomes more clear. And as you do these things, and I train you and teach you and also in everything that we do, uh, constantly reinforcing it. Sunday morning is nothing more than giving you the Bible where we're at, but also reinforcing what I already gave you. Thursday night... Yeah, you'll ask new questions and we'll get into new things. I'll never miss an opportunity to reinforce what I've already given you. People ministry is the same way. Uh, Institute the same way. One-on-one -on -one is the same way. And that's the same format that a parent uses. That's the same format a parent will do with their child. They'll look at every disobedience as a teaching tool. They'll look at every issue that child deals with as a reinforcement of what they're already giving them. Every issue they face, when a parent understands the overall vision of God for that child, and the child understands it, now it's all different. Every issue, every problem, every challenge, everything, you can look at it one or two ways. You can look at it as a problem, or you can look at it as a teaching opportunity.
your kids are always going to have problems. The question is, do you see them as problems or do you see them as opportunities? That depends on what you're going to do and what you understand about the vision. And it's just that simple. And, um, you know, it's a thing where um, you, you, you want to follow it that way. And, you know, you break down uh, your child's training as he grows through five uh, tribe training sessions. We talked about it last week, the, the five diff- or a couple weeks ago, the five different stages that he goes through. That presents the vision for that child. Then the rest of your life, you reinforce it. And like I said, just like me and you. Now, the verse in the Bible on a vision will be found in, again, the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, and it'll be found in verse 17 and 18. Now, let's turn there, and let's begin to look at this verse and a few other verses. He says in Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 17, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, usually what you find here, and there's nothing wrong with doing this. I've done it many times. Most pastors will. Uh, You use verse 18, and you use it in accordance with the church that you're involved in or you have as a pastor, and, and that's certainly okay. A church needs a vision to survive. There's no question about that. A pastor without a biblical vision is like a car without a motor. You get good gas mileage, but you never go anywhere. And that's exactly what happens in most churches. They never go anywhere because the pastor has no vision, and therefore the people get no vision. And I want to say again, this vision is not what you want to see. This vision is not your own conjured up idea of what it should be. No, no, the vision I'm talking about is you getting God's vision first. You see what God sees, and then verse 17 puts verse 18 on the vision squarely in the context of our children. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. And then it says, where there is no vision. In other words, the vision in the context of this is with your family. It's with your child. And it isn't you just getting a vision for your family or for your kid. It's you understanding all the things we've talked about of what God wants to accomplish and then instilling those in your child. Now, in your child's life, as in a church, um, uh, they need to have something that's meaningful in life. I think this is probably the biggest problem that God's people have. Uh, Many of you, the reason why you love this church the way you do is because before you came here, your life was meaningless, and you were a Christian. Your life had no purpose, and you were a Christian. You found here, you found here, and I'm going to show you how you found it here in a moment because it's the same concept with your family. You found here uh, a life with a purpose. You found direction here in your life. You found understanding. (coughs) You found, uh, you know, a plan for for your life. And Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28, and Proverbs 23, 10, talk about the two landmarks in the Bible. We talked about this on Thursday night for a little bit. The landmarks. Most Christians have no purpose in their life because they have no roots. They have no understanding. (coughs) Uh, We talked last week what constitutes a New Testament local church. Most God people don't even know that. They go to churches. They give their money to churches. They're involved in churches. They uh, do ministry in their churches. They sing in the choir. They do all the things that they do. And when it comes to the church and the Bible, their church is not even a New Testament local church based on the Scriptures. Now, we can throw the Scriptures out if you want, and you can have whatever church that you want. But that's, that's the bottom line. If you have the landmarks 
then you have something to start with. And whatever purpose you found here, and whatever purpose you got in this church, whatever purpose you didn't have or direction you didn't have that now you do have in your life, you didn't get it because of me. You didn't get it necessarily because of this church per se. You got it because where this church goes back to, and we understand where we came from, so we have the ability to put your Christian life into a context that most Christians never get. And with your child, like with you, my people, if you don't have the vision of God and maintain it, you both get lost in the world system. The Bible says, remove not the old landmarks, lest thou enter into the fields of the fatherless. And we talked about that Thursday night, how that that simply means no understanding of history, no understanding of where you came from, your roots, why we believe what we believe. Most of God's people believe something about the Bible in their church. They just don't know why they believe it. And that's the way most families operate. And they do that because they have no vision of what God is doing. They don't know where they came from. And I've said many, many times, if you don't know where you come from, you certainly don't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you've come from and you don't know where you're going, please do not insult my intelligence by telling me you know where you're at. You can't. Now, it goes without saying that the vision for your child has to start, listen to me now, it has to start with you, the parent, and your vision. Just like this church, the vision for this church has to start with my vision. And again, it's not what I want to see or not what you want to see, but seeing what God sees it the way He sees it. And the Bible and the biblical principles, as we've clearly learned, will break everything down for you. Now, allow me to illustrate this in a way that I'm sure we can all grasp it. In our homes, we all have, I would say that most of you have, what we know as, in all love, as a television. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that testimony. (laughs) Do you even watch it, though? Do you watch it? Okay, good, good. Television. Now, let's just take a simple thing like that. It's amazing how the simple things in life are great tools and understanding. We just never see it. Now, your television is a breakdown of two words. Television. You get an audio and you get a vision. Tele, somebody's going to tell you something, and a vision, you're going to see something. And that's called a television. And on that, you, uh, you, on your television, you watch TV shows, and they will give you a picture of a story so you can watch it and obviously enjoy it. Uh, you know uh, how many times somebody said to me, oh, you got to see this movie. you got to see this TV program. And when you sit down with your television, Somebody gives you a, a, an audio and then shows you a picture, uh, the vision, television, and from that, you walk away with a complete understanding of what you just saw because it was displayed in an audio fashion. You heard somebody speak, but you also saw it um, and saw the television on your television. But a TV without a picture, and we all hate when this happens, when your cable goes out. But a TV without a picture, with just the audio, would be pretty worthless. No picture at all. Your TV now wouldn't be a television, it'd just be a tele. It'd be a tele-no-vision. You see, the picture and sound on your television give you a complete context of what you're seeing. Take away the picture, just have the sound, you don't have anything. 
You're listening to something exciting, but you're wondering what's going on. You know, that's the way most of God's people are who have no vision with God. You hear me talk about things exciting, you just never see the picture of what's really going on. And that's exactly what you have. And in a family, with your children, as parents or churches, without a picture, a vision of what God is doing, uh, they'll never do anything for God. That's really, that really means anything. You know, here's the problem with churches today and pastors. And I feel free to criticize pastors and churches all that I want. I don't, if you're, a, if you're a nurse, I'd never criticize your nursing abilities. If you're a doctor, I'd never criticize your doctor's ability. If you're a lawyer, I'd never criticize your lawyer ability. If you're a mechanic, I'd never criticize, because I don't know nothing about that. But I am a preacher, and I know preachers. And I've been around preachers all my life. I've seen good ones, I've seen bad ones. And I'm going to tell you something. The problem with Christianity today in most churches is pastors get up there and they give an audio but they never portray a picture. You know what was great in the old Philadelphian days when, when guys could really preach? You know what they did in their preaching? They not only preached, they painted a picture with their words. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon one time, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it still goes down as one of the greatest sermons in the history of anybody recording history being preached. It brought a whole revival. But it wasn't just what he said. It was the fact that he painted the picture of what he was saying, and they not only heard what he said, they saw what he was saying. I've known the old-time preachers who could preach hell so hot you could feel the heat. You had to wear asbestos suit when you went to church if they was going to preach on it. I've heard them preach on heaven where heaven came down and glory filled your soul. You don't get that today. They've lost the art of preaching. Pastors preaching today is like listening to a message from your dentist about your teeth being bad. And it's a thing where it, it doesn't do anything for it because it doesn't paint a picture. You hear the audio. The guy stands up there and he'll, he'll deliver his audio version of it. But there's no, there's no picture that comes through. Nothing is painted in your mind. When you leave here, I'm going to tell you something right now. When I'm done this this morning, I guarantee you, you will never turn your TV set on again and not think about what I just said to you. You know why? I painted a picture for you. Yet I could have got up here and said, you need to have a vision. A vision is what you see that God does. Thank you. See you tomorrow. No, I gave you a picture. I painted you. You go home. I want to leave you when you leave. Every time I preach, I want you to go home and see something in your world that you see every day to remind you of what God is doing. That's reinforcement. But that's painting a picture with what you say. That's, being, that's understanding that we are visual in our makeup. We love the things that we see. We love the visual things. We love the television. We love the movies. We love the internet. We love the, our little games we play. We love all those things that we, we, we see. We visualize. We're a visual people. The problem is we visualize everything except what God is doing. And when you're a parent, you provide a vision for your child so they can have a context of life. You want your child to get the vision of what God is doing in your family. You want your child to understand that this is God's family, and we're doing things for God. And when you do that, when your child begins to see that, it makes life a lot easier. I told you how that, in essence, the older your child gets, the easier they should be to deal with. And you should bring them right up through that responsibility stage, right up into the ministry stage. You know why? 
Because a vision, God's vision in your family, which you give to your child, gives them a reason for the discipline. Now you're not just disciplined because they did something wrong. Now they have a context of the discipline. They understand that the discipline that you have to discipline them with, they understand why you have to do it now. Because we have the vision of God and we cannot allow you to step out of line just like God won't allow us to step out of line. Now you have a reason for when you've got to hold them accountable. They understand it. Oh, mom and dad, why are you so sticking the mud all the time? We can't ever. Now they understand because of the vision that they have of God and your family, of what God wants to do with your family. They see it. They understand it. It's being reinforced. Now they have an understanding of why I have to be accountable, why I have to be responsible for what I do. It puts it into a context. Now... With the vision of God in your family, your child immediately, like many of you, when you started coming to church here, they get a purpose in life. They're no longer just a teenager. They're no longer just a kid struggling with issues. They're no longer up against peer pressure or this or that. Now they have a complete purpose of what they're doing and what God wants to do with them. And and, and let me say this because this is very important. You don't create in your child's life a vision. You don't. Listen to me carefully. You don't sit down, get a book on vision. You don't sit down and just say, okay, I'm going to give a vision to my child. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. You don't, you don't create a vision for your child. You pass on to them the vision you already have, whether it's good or whether it's bad. It has to come from you. And today, uh, you know, there's a, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a vision that we have to have. And, 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 and I'll say this, the vision has to be, uh, it has to be with a passion. It has to be with a passion. I have a, I have a vision for this church. I have a vision for every one of you. And I'm not ashamed to tell you, I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about you. I'm passionate about truth. I'm passionate about the Bible. I'm passionate about the ministry. I'm passionate about people. And, you know, all the time people think that if you're in a church, you have to be like you're baptized in dill pickle juice. You know, that you're just, you you just never. But you know what? You, you, and I've seen, I've seen some of you. You come to church, you just sit there. And I'm not saying you got to go crazy and be a charismatic. I get that. But you know what? I'd like to know you are alive sometimes. I guarantee you, when the Royals went to the World Series, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Right. You never went, woo, with my preaching, but you do it when the Royals go. If the Chiefs would have went to the Super Bowl. (sighs) Hey, I've been here for the Super Bowl party. We just have and hoping, staying in practice, that one day we'll make it there. But we, we won't. But I watch you guys. I watch what you get passionate about. I watch you guys go out and catch big fish. I'm, I'm all for that. I, I, I never could fish. I didn't have the patience. My best way of fishing would be with a hand grenade. Throw that sucker in and catch them when they blow up out of the water. You'll go out and kill, the, kill a 19-point buck. I'm all for that. I'm glad. I'm glad. I mean, killing Bambi's dad is a good thing, I think, for you. I get it. And I see, look at this picture. Look at this picture. And I love to look at the pictures. You're passionate about that. You know, I, 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 my passion is about the Bible. It's about you. 
And I don't mind. I get, I get excited about when you show me those pictures. I, my passion is your passion. But I've seen God's people get a passion about everything out there except the things they ought to get passionate about. I like passionate people. When I look for somebody that God gives me and we want to really get into the ministry together and work side by side, I'll tell you, we have to have the same passions. And if you don't, that doesn't mean I don't like you. It just means you're boring. I love you to death. I'd do anything in the world to help you. But you know what? If we're going to work side by side, your passion, my passion has to be God's passion. How can two walk together except they be agreed? And I think that's the number one issue today with God's people. They don't have any passion about the things of God. And the reason is they're going to go to churches where the pastor has no passion. He doesn't get excited about anything. He gets excited on a snow day. And it's always going to be a source of frustration. It's like going hunting, and hunting is your passion, and then going hunting with somebody who wants to go, but that ain't their passion. It'd ruin your whole hunting experience. Somebody says to me, Bob, I want to go out and hunt coyotes with you. And I said, okay, we'll go. So I meet you wherever I meet you over there. We'll meet over Gary someplace, you know, and, and uh, you're looking for me, and I'm standing right there, but I look like a tree. I got my ghillie suit on. I'm all camoed up. Uh, I, and and, and you, got your, you got your chief sweatshirt on with your Reeboks. <laughs> so we're going to go into the woods. I got an old beat-up pair of camouflage boots on that I'm putting coyote urine on one boot and 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 and. and uh, uh, raccoon urine on the other. Amen. You don't want them on your Reeboks. I don't understand that. I don't mean to be gross this morning, but the grossest smell on the planet is raccoon urine. I want you to know it. It's terrible. It's rank. I know I got 55 gallons of it at home. It's terrible. But you know what? If you're going to get a coyote, you can't go in smelling like you. You got to smell like something that he's familiar with. And he, he, he doesn't want to see you. So you got to get down, got a big old ghillie suit on, you know, those big old things that the snipers wear, and you're sitting down there, and you're camoed up, and you're sitting over there next to me with your big bright red chief suit on, with your big white Reeboks, with your goofy-looking hat. And I'm calling them in. And they hear it. They hear that wounded rabbit, and boy, they start coming in, and they come around that corner, and there's Bozo the Clown sitting out there next to a tree. That would be me. You know how frustrating that is? It's, it, it just never works to try to do something with people that don't have the same passion. I mean, it's just that simple. And I, I, it, it's a thing where when it comes to the things of the Word of God, uh, and I and most of you, all of you probably have it. I mean, I'd say 99% of you anyhow. Now, see, my job as a pastor is to, through my zeal and my passion, find those who are passionate about the book, the Word of God, people, truth, and ministry, and then they don't get their own vision. They get the vision that God gave the pastor, his passion, he, he passes it off to them, and we all get the same vision. It isn't my vision, it's the vision God has for this church. And you get the vision, the big picture of what God's going to do. And more importantly, 
You don't just get the vision of the big picture of what God's doing. You see how you fit into it. And I'll be honest with you, a pastor with no real passion or zeal for truth, you know, not going through his ministry Mach 5 with his hair on fire, it's a joke to me. I've told many a young men, and, I, and they were good guys. But just because you know the Bible and because, you know, you, 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 can, you think you can preach or whatever, it doesn't mean and you got this desire and burden uh, to be a pastor. It doesn't mean that you're cut out to be a pastor. I mean, there's some things that you've got to have in place to be a pastor. It isn't like you just go do that like you drive a school bus. And one of the things you've got to have as a pastor is you've got to have some fire. You've got to have some passion. You've got a bunch of people that you're going to be in front of that you've got to try to enlist to serve God. And if you get up there and say, well, this all served the Lord today. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm, I'm excited, brother. I really am. I just want you all to know that the most exciting thing in the world is serving the Lord. Who's going to follow that? No, no. If you want to, if you want somebody to follow you, and they got the same passion, and, and and all Sunday morning is in any church is finding out who's got the passion and who doesn't. And I don't know about you, but I want to tell you something. I got it. Yeah. And I'm not going to stand up here with something mean. I'm going to tell you that God is great. The Word of God is unbelievable, and God will take your life, and He will use you, and He will use you. And it's the greatest feeling in the world to be used to God. Get out of what you're doing. Get away from it. Get with God and let Him set you on fire. Now, that's somebody you can listen to. See? I mean, I'm telling you. I mean, it's just that simple. A pastor with no real passion or zeal for the truth, I mean, he just stands up there in a monotone voice. He gets up there, you know, and he never gets above three decibels. And he just, he's boring to listen to. I mean, I mean, I've heard some of the guys preach that they were so boring. When they were done, I don't know if they knew what they were saying, but I sure didn't understand it. I mean, just no purpose to it. No nothing. And I want to tell you something. You get the idea that if you're not a good preacher, if you just preach more sermons, you get more practice, that makes you a better preacher. That may be good going to the batting cages if you want to hit softballs out of the park. That may be good at going to the driving range to hit golf balls if you want to learn how to do it. That'll never work with preaching. You don't preach more sermons to be a better preacher. You just wind up preaching more bad sermons. The thing that'll put preaching in your heart and in your soul is the fire that you have and the passion that God gave you that you got something to say and you want everybody to hear it. I'm like a, Bob, somebody said, Bob, can you sum up your, your ministry? I can. I'm a two-watt radio station. Just two watts. Most radio stations are 1,000 watts. I'm a two-watt radio station, but every time I get on the radio, I say, hello, world. And 10 people around my block hear me. I'm going for the world. And my passion will be for the world. And God will take you wherever you're at. And no matter how small you think you are, no matter how small you are, it's the fire and the passion inside of you. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And when you get that passion, nothing's going to stop you. And people are going to, somebody said one time, if you want to build a church, if the pastor gets on fire, the whole town will come and watch him burn. A lot of truth to that. The pastors today, they're limp noodles, man. They got to get a job at a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> 
to them is just a nine to five job. And that's why, that's why I was telling Gary this morning, looking across this crowd, and I, I was up and watching the prayer meeting this morning. And it's a thing where on the TV this morning, last night, they were already closing churches. I drove by 20 churches today that, that they were, nobody was going to be there this morning. They closed it down. I was telling Gary this morning, I said, you know what? There's always a method to my madness. My hardline stand that we don't close the doors for anything. Now, you may not be able to get here. I get that. I understand that. I'm not one of these kind of guys, and if you don't show up on Thursday night because it's a nice storm, or you don't show up on Sunday morning because it's a blizzard out there, and you can't see five feet in front of you, I'm not going to get up and say, we don't have very many people here today because of the snow. I wonder where we'd be today if Jesus didn't go to the cross because the road was icy. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I don't think I just did. I'm not going to do that. I get it. I get it. But I want you to know, we don't shut down for anything. If there's a nuclear disaster at 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock in the morning and a bomb goes off in Kansas City, I will be here. I might be crispy fried critter, but I will be here. We don't shut the doors for anything. And you know what it does? It builds something in you. that, that You know why I don't want to miss it? I give you my verse. I gave it to you Thursday night. You were all talking about it. Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow or the hail? And I told you how that every time there's a deep snow and we have to fight to get to church, God always gives us something great, the treasures in the snow. And you guys were laughing about it and quoting it all over across the thing Thursday night. I want you to know that in my mind, there's something going on here with God. Now, maybe you don't see it that way. That's your deal, man. I see it that way. I look at what God has given us. I look at who you are. I look at the word of God he's given us. I look at what he does. I look at what he does with this ministry because of you. I look at all the people here that have a passion for the things of God. I wouldn't rather be anyplace else than here this morning. Amen. It didn't have to be a downright nuclear waste disaster where the police surrounded my house and wouldn't let us out because we were all glowing. You see, with most pastors, it's just a nine-to-five job. With me, it's my life. I don't know anything else. Now, you're all hoping that you'll get called off from work in the morning. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I, 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 I hope you do. I hope it just snows tonight and all the place in Kansas City says, stay home, we don't want you to be safe. I'm good. But I will never say that on a Thursday night or a Sunday morning. And you know what? I want you to, I, and most of you, you wouldn't miss it for the world. You know why? Because you know God's going to be here and you want something from it. And it's the same way with your kids and a family. Their passion, their passion for the things of God will be based on your passion for the things of God. It's just that simple. Whatever your passion is, whether it's the things of God or the world, whatever it's going to Bible study or going out and drinking with your buddies, whether it's being here to learn the Bible or staying home and getting high, whatever your passion is, you will pass it on to them. Your passion will be their passion. Now, I want to talk the next thing. Not only do you have to provide a vision for your kids, like I do the church, but you have to define it for them for uh, uh, through a biblical process. Now, for that, we want to look over at Habakkuk chapter 2, 
verse 13. Now this is the definitive passage in the Bible on, on a vision, given a vision. Now he says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 3, here's what he says. Now let me say this before we get in here so you understand the context. Habakkuk is written to the nation of Israel. And at this time, it's a pre-captivity book, right before they go into captivity. And at this period of time, Israel has lost the vision of Almighty God. They're much just like the Christianity today. They're much like most of God's people. So here's what Habakkuk says to them. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Now this book will be about defining uh, our defining passing on how to give a vision. Uh, Showing me, the pastor, and you, the parent, uh, the working aspects of of communicating the vision of God first to your children as a family, but then me uh, to my people as a church. Now, let me basically take this verse apart for you because there's some good things you want to see here. Verse 1, first of all, he says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. Now, the first thing I want to make a reference to is he says, I will stand upon my watch. If you're a parent, you're standing a watch over your children. In this church, this church is on my watch. I'll bring men and women in who are leaders, men who are deacons, women who are elders and grow up in the Word, and you will help me on my watch. As a parent, you have a mom and a dad. If you have good godly grandparents, you have them, and they help you watch my watch. As a parent, you uh, are a watchman for your child. You watch for their health. You watch for their safety. You watch for their physical development. You watch for their influence of their friends in their world. And you watch for their souls. And if they fail, it's because you failed on your watch. It's just that simple. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how easier it is to grasp. If you lose your child... You lost them on your watch. You had every opportunity. You had every responsibility. You had everything that you needed to make that child everything that God wanted to be. You failed to give him the vision. You go, I don't know where you were, but you got off your watch and you didn't watch for them. And they, 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 they fell apart on your watch. If this church fails, it'll, you'll never see me blame any family in this church, any one person who will destroy this church. Because if any one person ever does, it's because I wasn't on my watch and I let it happen. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And when it comes to the church, it's on my watch as the pastor. When it's in your family, it's on your watch as the mom and dad, especially the dad. (coughs) It's just that simple. And, uh, you know, he says, I will stand upon my watch. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, this is a great verse. It says, Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they 
Watch for your souls. Now, you don't like everything I say. I know you don't. That's okay. I, I don't know anybody who ever enjoyed everything a pastor said. That's just human nature and the way it is in life. But I can guarantee you this. You may not like it, but whatever I say, I guarantee you, it wasn't meant to hurt you. It's meant to make you better. And it's something that I saw, something that needs to be addressed, or something that needs to be dealt with. You may not want to deal with it. You may not like it. You may be steeped in your world system. That's okay. <laughs> but I'm telling you something. My job as a pastor is to watch for your souls. And your job as a parent with your kids is to watch for their souls. As they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. You see, when you don't see that and understand it, then it's not profitable for you. As a parent, when you don't understand that you're on the watch for your child, then it's not going to be a profit for you. It's going to be some problems. When a pastor looks at his congregation and just lets them do whatever they want to do and don't have any lines of accountability, then it's, a, you know, it's going to be a problem. Then the second thing that they say there is, my tower. Now, there's our tower we've talked about. There's the high tower, the Tower of David. We've covered this before in the last couple of weeks and months, made reference to it almost every week. When you stand your watch, you stand on a tower. That tower is a tower built with biblical principles. We know that by now. Built on biblical principles that will allow you to see 360 degrees in every direction to see what's coming toward your family. I have to do the same thing with the church. I can see problems coming long before <coughs> they manifest themselves with people. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. Just shore up the wall like a, like a hurricane flood. It's coming. You can't stop it. You just got to shore up the sandbags to keep it from doing as little damage as possible. That's the way it is sometimes in a, in a church. <coughs> it's not usually that way with a family if you do it right from the get-go. So your, your tower, your watch, your watch on a tower. And uh, this tower here uh, allows you to see. It allows you to see what we've talked about before, long-term and short-term. It allows you to look behind. It allows you to look around. It allows you to look ahead. And you see what's coming on your watch. And, of course, that is, that is very important when it comes to the vision because you don't want, I don't want my church being distracted from the vision of God. You don't want your children being distracted from uh, the things of God. Look at the next part of verse 1. And we'll watch and see what he says to me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Now look at that. Watch and see. See, there's your television. Not just like, not just listening to what God says, but watching what he's doing while he's saying it. You know, most people in most churches, uh, they, they'll gripe about everything in the church they don't like. But they'll never see what God is doing. And that is a very shallow person who all they do is they see what they, what they, they hear what they want to hear, but they never see the big picture of what God is doing. You find me a church that doesn't have some issues and some problems, I'm telling you, they're not out there. But there's some of God's people that all they want to do is focus on the negative and they never see the positive. And there's same parents that do the exact same thing. All they focus on is what their kids do wrong. And they're not watching what God is doing. They're not on their tower. I'm not sure where they're at. They're not on their watch. Are you watching your watch, the tower? Are you seeing what God, hearing what God is saying and seeing what God is saying? 
Do you see the big picture, or is it just a sermon of words to you? Is it just disciplining your children because <coughs> they did something wrong? Or do you see a whole thing in the context of life and what God is doing? And your responsibility to be on that tower, on your watch for their souls. Then he says, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Now that's a great question for all of us. What will we do with the message that God gives us when we see there's some things that we need to change about ourselves? You know, I, I've met parents all my life that, that they got kids with problems, and I, and I get it. And uh, very few of them really get out of the problems. And there's a very simple reason why they won't. I have never met a parent that didn't have a problem with their kids that didn't want their kid to change. But what they never understood was the fact that you may want your kids to change, but you'll never change the kids till you change mom and dad. Because that's the problem. Kids don't reveal, kids don't cause problems in the home. Kids just reveal the problems that are already in the home. And you want to change your family? Change yourself. Change about you. When you hear something that God tells you and he reproves you, how are you going to respond to it? That's the question. And what shall I answer when I am reproved? That's a great question. What are you going to say when, this, when a sermon goes up against something you don't like and you know it's right? I had a guy one time that left our church and somebody said to him, well, wh- wh- why do you leave the church? And you don't like? He says, oh, I love Bob. I like Bob. And he says, he says, uh, he, he said, well, why did you leave? And he says, well, it's the things that Bob says when he preaches. And he says, well, what did you say that's wrong? And he says, nothing. <laughs> You're right. It wasn't the fact that I said anything wrong. It wasn't the fact that he didn't want to change about himself. And whether you know it or not, or want to admit it or not, we all are in a state of constant influx of change. The older we get, the more God reveals to us what needs to change about us. And I, the question is good. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. What are you going to say? I'm going to keep on doing what I want to do. What do you know what's wrong? I'm not going to be the husband I need to be because I like who I am. I'm not going to be the father I need to be. I'm not going to be the mother I need to be. I'm not going to quit drinking. I'm not going to quit smoking. I'm not going to quit doing dope. I'm not going to quit doing this. These are all things that I know they're wrong, but I like them. Boy, I wish you had that passion about the things of God. You do your marijuana or your booze. Wouldn't that be something if all the things we have passion about that are wrong were focused on a passion for the book and Christ? Wow, we'd win this town to Christ. Some of God's people hear the word of God week after week after week and it will never change a thing about them. They're spiritually blind. They can't see anything God is doing. And when it comes to their family, their family, that's the only vision their family ever gets. Now get this. The children in our families are not only hearing what you say about God's vision. A lot of parents will do that. A lot of parents will make sure they say their prayers before they go to bed. A lot of parents will make sure they read their Bible verse or their memory verse. That's commendable. A lot of parents will, will say, you know, you know, you don't want to do that. You don't do that. You don't do that. It isn't about that. The children and your family, not only hearing what you say about God's vision, but are they seeing it worked out in your life with passion? 
Do they hear what you say and then see what you do with the same passion about God's vision? That's the key. That's the question. And it's the same with the children. Verse 2 says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that readeth it. Now there's a couple of things here. First of all, he says, Write the vision and make it plain. That's giving your child the vision of God in your family and then reinforcing it that they see how plain it really is. The vision has to be the number one goal that everything else you're doing lends itself to. They have to see where mom and dad are at with God's vision. Mom and dad instill that into their hearts, and then they move out from there as a family. And that child constantly, and everything you got to do, when you got to discipline him now, hold him responsible, do this, now you do it in the context that we're God's family. You're an important part of this team. We have a vision. What happened to the vision when you did that? Did you lose sight of it? You know, you can't come to this church for over a month or past a month and not feel the passion and get that, that we got a vision of some passion here and going in a direction. I mean, uh, this is not the first church of the refrigerator. Trust me. We got it going on and it's exciting. And it's too much for some of God's people. They don't want that. They don't, they don't want that. They, 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 they do not want to go through all they got to go through their passion lies elsewhere. I get that. I don't, I'm not fighting that. But it's very clear what we are all about here. And you'll either want in or you'll want out. That's okay. I put my sign up back there that life is tough, but it's even tougher when you're stupid. I'm going to get another one to put out there as you come in. It simply says, non-passionate people need not apply. But it's the same with your family. The child needs to see the passion for the things of God in mom and dad first. Passion is the vision. The vision will become the purpose. When they get the passion, through the passion, they see the vision of God, that vision will give them the purpose of God in their life. Then he says, <coughs> again in verse 2, <coughs> make it plain upon the tables. Now, the tables there, fundamentally, first and foremost, will be the tables of your heart. 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in the tables of stone, like the Old Testament, but in the fleshy tables of the heart. You see, make it plain upon the tables. The thing you want to develop in your child's life is the right heart attitude about the things of God. You know how you do that? It starts with you having the right attitude about the things of God. Don't ever think that you can have the wrong attitude about the things of God and instill in your kid the right things. It doesn't work that way. You may sell Fords at Ford dealership and drive a Chevy. You may sell Chevys and drive a Ford. And you can get away with that, but you will not, you will not, you will not under any circumstances in any way, shape, or form, not have the passion in your heart first in the things of God and purpose established in your heart, and then you'll give it to your kids. It will never go that you can't have it, and they will. And as a parent, as a pastor, you make it plain by getting them uh, their heart to see God's vision, the right heart attitude, building in them from the time they're born, building in them, Everything that they need to be everything that God 
wants them to be. You know, as a parent, as a pastor, you make it plain. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Daniel, how that he was faced with all the things that Babylon, the world system, had. And the Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart. When I preach, I preach to your heart. I don't preach about what you wear. I don't preach about how long your hair is. I don't preach about this or that. I preach to your heart. I figure if I get your heart, everything else will be right where it needs to be. Why should I waste all this time chasing down rabbit trails that will never lead anywhere when all I have to do in every one of your lives, if you're truly saved this morning, is go after one thing, your heart. God gets your heart, he's got the rest of you. It's just that simple. And when you teach and train your child, it's to get to their heart. You get your child's heart, you got it all. You won't have to worry about what they say, where they go, what they look at, what they do, what they listen to. Because you get one thing about them, just like if I get it with you. The rest takes care of itself. You develop the right heart attitude. And you make it plain upon the table, the tables of their heart. Now, there's a literal thing here that I love. Make it plain upon the tables. You know, in the tabernacle, there were seven pieces of literal furniture. And every one of those pieces of furniture is a picture of of something spiritual in our lives. And one of the pieces of furniture was the uh, table of the showbread. And uh, every morning that bread was baked fresh and put out there. And the table was right long table, you know, <coughs> and the bread was put out, you know, 12, 12 round loaves. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six in the top row, six in the bottom. Twelve total because uh, that's a picture of the Word of God. And there's, there's 12, six at the top, six at the bottom because there's 66 books in your Bible. There's 12 because salvation is of the Jew and the oracles of God, book of Romans says, is from the Jew. So you have 12 pieces, six, six, 66 books in the Bible and it's on a table, table of shoe bread. Not show bread, shoe bread. It's a, it, it's, a, it's a bread that you have that is right there on that table and that table is a table of fellowship. And so when he's talking about make a plan upon the tables, I, I've always loved this. Uh, you know, most of you did not learn your Bible on Sunday morning. You get a good introduction to it, but there's no way we can cover it all. You know where, if you learned your Bible at all and you have a passion and you really know the Bible, love the Bible, you know where you learned it? You learned it because we set up tables. We set up them on Thursday night. Some of you, when we're done here tonight, you'll set up the tables. We'll leave them up for Saturday morning with Institute. You'll leave them up for Saturday morning with people ministry. Make it plain upon the tables. Tables in the Bible are a picture of your study. That's when you really get down to it. See, I'm preaching here in the morning. There's nothing really to write or take your notes. Some of you are struggling putting your notes on your lap and your notebooks are bending in half. I get that. But when you have a table out there and we're going at it for two and a half hours or three hours or two hours or whatever we do on, on those days, you're getting into it. And you get my vision for God right here on the literal tables that we put up uh, that get into the tables of your heart. And it's a thing where uh, all the things that we do, and it's a picture, those tables are a literal picture of the study time that you put into the Word of God. Then he says, that he may run that readeth it. We talked about this the other night and Thursday night too and running the race for God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16 says that we're not running in vain. That we don't run uh, somebody, uh, we're running, holding forth the word of life. That's the race that we're in. Our race is not a race that who gets ahead of each other. Our race is a race of time. We've got things we have to get done before the Lord comes back. Philippians chapter 2 says we don't run in vain. That we're holding forth the word of life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27 talks about running with certainty. 
See, there's your purpose. There's direction. There's the vision of God. Running with certainty, not one that beateth the air. Somebody that beats the air doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know where he's going. He's swinging at things he can't even see. He has no purpose. He has no vision. And it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 27, that we run this race to win, uh, win a, a crown that is incorruptible. While the whole world runs races to win a corruptible crown, we run this race to win an incorruptible one. Then Acts chapter, 20, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 30. <coughs> Here's a good one. This is the story. We talked about this the other night. This is the story of Philip and Ethiopian eunuch. The opportunity that God gives us. Philip was over there in a great revival in Samaria. And the uh, uh, Lord had brought that Ethiopian eunuch out there in the backside of the desert. Somebody had gave him Isaiah 53 and he's reading about the death of Christ. He has no idea what he's talking about. And God lifts up Philip in the middle of a revival where hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of people are getting saved. Pulls him out for one guy over here. And when he comes down through there, you know what the Bible said? There's a great picture of, of passion. You know, and, and, and passion, passion is not about numbers. I know that's hard for us to get today. I've known evangelists that would tell, they thought they were so valuable to God. There used to be one over here in, in Kansas. He's gone now. And, and, his, and I've seen it before. They get to be such legends in their own mind that they, uh, they this guy would say that uh, I won't come to a church that can't guarantee me a crowd of 5,000 people to preach to. In other words, in essence, my preaching is so valuable that if you've got 200 or 300 people or 1,000, it ain't worth my time. Now, that's about the height of arrogancy that, you know, if I was God, I'd cut somebody's tongue out like that. But of course, I'm not God, but I'm just saying... <laughs> But that, that's the height of arrogancy. And you see, and, and we think that passion is about numbers. If I have 5,000 people, I can really be passionate. But if I have a crowd this size, well, I'm not going to be as passionate. I'll tell you something. Here's an evangelist that was having a revival with thousands of people in Samaria. And God pulls him out and sends him to one guy. You don't hear him complain at all. Well, you don't hear him get up and say, well, you know, Lord, I, don't, I guess, you, guess you missed the great revival we had last night. There was thousands of people that came forward. You can't do this without me. I need to stay here. You got, I don't know how many people you can send over to that old guy in the desert. <coughs> me? Man, I'm in the middle of it. I'm getting on over here with these people. We're getting a revival. You see, his passion wasn't built on numbers. And the day your passion is built on the crowd you got to have, you're in trouble. Your passion should never be built on numbers. You know what your passion should be built on? A true opportunity that God gives you. Not the numbers involved. I come here on Sunday morning and there's a bad snowstorm out there. which just happened in the past. And we've had at times that, uh, you know, 20 or 30 have made it here. I don't think to myself, well, I'm going to take it easy today. You know, it's kind of an off day. Uh, I got what I <clears throat> want to say. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I'll save it for next week. I'll just put some, hey, you're going to get the full enchilada, man. Uh, my passion is not about how many is here. My passion is about this is an opportunity that God gave me to give you truth, and I'm passionate about it. doesn't matter if you're all here, half of you here, or just one of you is here. If it's just one of you, you're going to get a boatload, I guarantee you. When I give the invitation, I will deal with you when you come forward. How would that be? <laughs> but, you know, Philip had this great revival over here. Thousands were saved. <clears throat> he plopped down the desert, and 
The Spirit of God says to him, go join thyself to that man's chair. You know what the Bible says? He ran. He didn't go, okay, I'll tell you, Lord, you sure screwed this one up. I was having a great time there. I don't know what they're going to do. He ran. He wasn't looking at numbers for his passion. It was God gave me an opportunity, and I am passionate about it. God's given you an opportunity with your kids. Given you the opportunity. He's given me the opportunity with this church. He's given you the opportunity with your kids. And your passion, your passion, he, he ran. You know why? Because he saw what God was doing. He saw the big picture. He knew that the revival in the Samaria wasn't the total picture. He realized that the whole picture of God, and he realized what it was, and he realized that he was part of it no matter where he went. He had God's vision. He didn't want to be left behind. I would hate to think when I got to the judgment seat of Christ that God had tremendous opportunities that he wanted me that were so small in number as they looked at, but I didn't go because I thought I was more important with this. Your passion is never about the numbers involved. Your passion about is just a true opportunity of God. And if it is, (laughs) I'm in, I'm in. Look at verse 3. For the vision is yet for a, an appointed time. You know, your child's life when they're very young, that's the time to lay it out long before it gets there. Get them ready. Plow the ground. Some of you were asking me about your newborn babies. You know, you just got newborn babies and you can't do these things with them. And you, you said, you know, I, I, we're trying to do the best we can, so we're getting ready. We're going through it. Me and my wife, we're going through it. We're getting it all down so when they can get ready. I got one better for you than that. You can do something right now. You say, well, it's just been baby. It's only been, it's a year old or less than a year old or two years old. You know what you can do? That baby, I don't care how little it is, it's still got a subconscious. Read the Word of God to it. You don't think the Holy Spirit of God will take that in their little subconscious, even though they can't answer back? You think praying over them and singing songs to them that are, it doesn't do something for them? They got a soul. They got a soul. They got a soul. You think you can't minister to them and you got to minister to somebody and they got to say, praise the Lord, thank you very much. Here's a dollar. They got a subconscious. They're there. I don't care if they're six months old or you just brought it home from the hospital. In that little baby is a soul that can attach to God's spirit and you read to it. You pray over it. You sing to him. You start right away. Building the vision in their subconscious. You ever notice families that have bilingual children in them? That they'll grow up in a family and they never had a class in Spanish. But mom and dad will be bilingual. They'll speak English and Spanish and they talk back and forth in both languages. That child will grow up, but by the time they're five, six years old, they can speak two languages. They speak two languages because of the two languages that are spoken in the home, and they live in that home. They absorb those languages, and I'm sure that for a period of time they got to separate it out, but they come out as they get older speaking fluent Spanish and fluent English because they come from a bilingual family. 
In other words, whatever language you're speaking to your child spiritually is a language they're going to adapt and they're going to get into their subconscious and they're going to come out speaking. It all comes down to the vision we as parents provide for them. Me as a pastor provide for you. God of the world. Simply your child is where they are at today based on the vision that we the parent gave them. Then the last part of verse 3. Though it tarry, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. There's a process to giving your child the vision of God uh, in their life. It's a process that begins with mom and dad and then moves into the family and then is passed on to the child as a learned training process. You go after their heart. You see what you do. You got the vision of God in your own life and you give that to your child. You teach them. You train them. It may take a while to manifest itself because they're little, but through the five stages of spiritual growth and you, the parent that has the understanding and they're on your watch and you're on your tower, walking your child every step of the way through God's life goals for them, the ministry, <coughs> understanding that the fruit is His reward and they're God's heritage. Remember, all training and teaching in your child's life is about getting the vision of God and your family into their life. It's just that simple. Everything you do, everything you do, everything that you do with your child, every aspect of discipline, all of those five things, every conversation you have, everything you invest in should be about getting and reinforcing the vision that God has for you and your wife, your family, and instilling it into your children. A vision of a life with God. And there's four things you want to remember, and then I'm done. Four things you want to, but this is probably the most important thing. Four things you want to remember about giving your child the vision that it will do. When you constantly are reinforcing that and giving it to them, when you have it in your own life first and they see the passion and the zeal of not just listening to what they, you say, but watch what you do, through the concept of giving them a vision in life <coughs> with God, first thing you'll begin to do is shape His will. He'll put His willpower aside in time and He'll follow God's will. The second thing you'll do through the vision is develop His mind. From the mind of His own to let this mind be in you, it was also in Christ Jesus. The third thing that you do as you build His will or shape His will and develop His mind that you'll begin to mold His character through his attitude of heart, that he, like Daniel, will purpose in his heart that he will not defile himself with the king's meat. And then the fourth thing that you'll do through this process is that you'll bring his human spirit in line with God's spirit in the Word of God. You do those four things in his life through a vision. Through everything else you do, you never lose sight of why I'm doing what I'm doing is to reinforce the vision so my son, my child, <coughs> my daughter <coughs> has a context of everything they face in life that they come away with a vision of a life with God is a lot better than a life without Him. Now next week we'll close out our study on Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. 
And I'm going to probably talk about the seven keys of biblical parent. And we're going to pull, pull it all together. Seven things that you want to remember going back through everything that we're doing. But the most important thing is understanding the vision. Television. It'll never be the same again when you turn that thing on. It'll, it'll always remind you that when a picture goes out, you ain't getting anything. Got to have the whole context of the story. And in the story of life, you have to tell the vision. They have to hear it and they have to see it. All right.